Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Franci, and I am your host, and I want to begin by saying thank you for listening. On this show, I am having conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some amazing and extraordinary results in both their life and business. My intention is to inspire and help you learn and grow by having my guests share their journey of how they face and overcome their challenges, but also how they celebrate their many wins. And now let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Daryl Frankfurt, has been in and around the business of real estate for the past 28 years. In 1995, Daryl started working for a very large and prominent lumber and construction material supplier in Toronto, where he was in charge of 40 framing crews and coordinated the construction of over 2,000 homes per year for other developers, combined with leading 20 Finnish carpentry crews, where he coordinated the finishes on over 500 homes per year for another developer. In 2002, he became a partner in a 100,000 square foot furniture warehouse and showroom where he started the builder program selling furniture to builders to accommodate their show home suites and decor centers. Alongside that, he started an importing company that resold its furniture products to non-competing furniture stores in Canada and the United States. In 2006, Daryl purchased his first property to develop and took on a multi-million dollar build of a home in a very wealthy neighborhood in Toronto. Thinking he was now on his way, Daryl purchased two more properties in the same area in 2008, and along with his wife Kayla, who is an interior designer, they gained a reputation and the attention from clients who wanted them to design and build them their homes. Daryl decided to be a custom home builder for hire, where using some of his great marketing ideas and savvy, he became the first company to advertise in local fashion and design magazines, which turned out to be a brilliant marketing plan. And in 2016, Daryl switched focus to larger development projects where Daryl worked on some very large deals. And since about 2016, he's originated over $350 million worth of land transactions. And along with all of the things that he has done, and currently does, he is also one of the co-creators and co-hosts of his YouTube channel called The Canadian Real Estate Show. Much has happened along Daryl's journey and he's gonna share his stories today. We have an amazing conversation and without any further delays, let's get this conversation started. Daryl Frankfurt, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Okay, so you and uh, your buddy, pal, partner. EK. YouTube sensations. Sensations. Self-proclaimed. You guys are hilarious. Good show. Good insights. Yeah, the Canadian Real Estate Show. We put a lot of effort into that name. You do? I see that. You guys started... We were brilliant before that. Like, before that was even better. We were the Toronto Real Estate Show. That one, that one took time. I've been on your show. Which one was that? Yeah. You may have been on both. I think you've been on a couple times. Weren't you on a oh, live show? Too? Oh, I did. I was on yeah. twice. I was on as a group gig in uh, New Year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's been fun. Hey, well, listen, aside from a YouTube sensation, what? 
somebody says, Daryl, what do you do for a living? What's your answer? I am a real estate developer. And can you expand on that a little bit? What kind of real estate sure. do you develop? Where are you located? I mean, it sounds like Toronto, and I yeah. know it is, but tell me a little bit about, as a developer, where are you hanging your shingle and where are you doing some work? So I'm a, I'm a developer in Toronto. I've uh, done work all over the place. The last few years, I've actually focused on Scarborough. I love Scarborough. Did a, I did a couple of really good deals out there. I am currently closer to downtown now. I have a, a deal I'm working on in Parkdale. What I try to do generally is uh, I call myself the Assembly King now on Twitter because I like to put uh, multiple properties together for development projects. That's uh, kind of my forte. So I'll, I'll, I'll try and put together multiple properties and put in a development application for a new building and then sell that to somebody else. That is much, uh, much better at, at doing these things than I am. So then really you're kind of in the middle. So you're bringing these things together, you're assembling the deal and, you know, maybe perhaps shifting some zoning, I'm assuming. I'm not Generally, I get the ball rolling on, on the zoning and I mm -hmm. give somebody like a nice start or, or, or something like a nice floor to, to kind of take over and, and, and I mean, I, I've been around the block a few times, so I, I, I know a thing or two. Uh, uh, some people will, you know, just try and maximize the GFA or the, the square footage on a site. But I, I've learned through experience that you really want to pass on a saleable site that somebody may not have to kind of take back to the drawing board. So we really try and design good buildings so that somebody sees value and takes it over because we never intend to, to do construction. I used to do construction. Well, I think it would serve us because you, uh, because I've followed you and, you know, kind of paid attention to what you've got going on. I think it would serve listeners to hear a little bit of your backstory because here's where you are today as a developer or the assembly king or whatever handle that you take on, but that's not where you were. And part of your story is the journey to get to where you are came with some big lessons in the real estate world, uh, big lessons, expensive lessons learned. Yeah. And why don't we go back to first that time yeah. of where you first got into real estate? Because I think your story is a good story for many. Uh, lots of lessons in there that perhaps we can share. Lots of lessons that I'm very happy to revisit regularly. But they have served me and they have served me recently. So I'll try and tie it all together at some point if I don't fly off on too many tangents. But I started out in a lumber yard with my family and I kind of, you know, got the bug for real estate through osmosis by just kind of selling lumber and framing houses for other developers. And to be honest with you, like when I worked in the lumber yard, I, I saw other developers come in and they had really nice cars and they had really nice shoes. And I spoke to them and I had dinner with them and like they were just normal guys. And I figured these guys can do it. So can I, but, uh, I took a, I took a pit stop. I went into the furniture business with my wife's family for a little bit. And, uh, after spending a few years there, I decided that I was going to be a speculative builder and I was going to buy a bungalow in Toronto, knock it down and, and build a brand new house. And I don't know why I came up with that. And I don't know why I thought I could do it, but I did. 
And uh, I learned a lot of lessons on that house because I had no idea how to do anything, like anything. Well, I mean, that sounds at the time. I mean, we'd look at it today and go, well, it was a kind of a classic fix and flip intention. Well, this was actually like getting permits, knocking down a house, building a whole new house. Like this was a full, full, full new build. Okay, and, so that's that's development. But this so... was crazy because I didn't know anything. Like I had no clue, and I bought this house in a bidding war, sight unseen. I I gave a I gave the agent like a blank check, and I went. This is so stupid. I was thirty, and I guess I was going a little crazy. My wife sent me to San Francisco to go see Donald Trump and uh, Robert Kiyosaki and. Like it was the first time Trump spoke. It was in San Francisco. It was it was a crazy event. It was uh, Tony Robbins and Suze Orman or Susie Orman, like all this crazy cast of people for three days in San Francisco. Anyways, so so I decided I was gonna be a a, a big developer, and I quit my my job working for for the for the family business in the furniture, and I bought this lot. Like I put an offer. I went to San Francisco, gave the guy a blank check, and he's like. You got it. And I'm like, I did? What did I pay? <laughs> right? And then I didn't know what to do now. So I had this deposit on a house. I had no idea what to do next. And I'm like, I guess I need to find some money or something because I don't know what to do. And I went, I asked this one guy, what do I do? Like, do who, who do I call? And just somehow through chance, I just went to everybody would lead me to, you know what? I'm not interested. Uh, maybe try this guy or maybe try this guy. And then one day I was at a bar mitzvah and this guy I've known my whole life pulls me aside. He said, I heard you, you're, you're a big builder now. How's it going? And I was like, it is like not going well. I have no idea what I'm doing. I need money like badly and I'm running out of time. And so he introduced me to one of his friends and they took me kind of under their wing, thank God. And they said, like, go make a budget and come back and we'll see if we can finance this for you. And I was like, oh, great. And then I started to make a budget. And I'm like, I have no idea how to make a budget. Like, I thought I knew how to make a house. I had no idea, like zero clue. So anyways, I try and make this budget and I put together like, it was probably pathetic. I can't even imagine what it looked like. But I went into this guy's office and I started crying, like literally crying. And I was like, I'm going to lose all my, my deposit money. And like, I just left my job and I don't know what to do. Is a mess. And he goes, don't worry, buddy, we're going to take care of you. And like, they helped me, but I mean, they had a vested interest. They did very well on this deal. Believe me, they, <laughs> they, they had a sucker and they knew it. And then I, I did okay, actually. Like I did okay. I, I figured it out. I built a beautiful, beautiful house, beautiful house. And this is in like 2006. And so when we put it for sale, the, uh, the agent, we got an offer like right away, way under asking. And he's like, and I was like, uh, like, I don't know what to do now. We got an offer, but it's not what we asked for. He goes, you never know when you're going to get another offer. I suggest you take it. And he gives me a big hug, like, congratulations. And I was like, okay, like I made money. Okay, let's go. Like, I didn't even know to sign back. Like, this is how stupid and naive and raw, like not even a sign back. Like, oh God, like the dumb mistakes on that house but anyways so i made some money and then i thought i could do two at the same time <laughs> and, and <laughs> that's funny right okay hold on before we go let's yeah. okay sorry very, 
this is fascinating. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking at the psychology of all of this, Daryl, and saying, you know, and, and I, and I would be a little bit different in terms of your own self-assessment, you know, being maybe a little dumb, a little stupid. I'd watch because, you know, I look at it a couple of things, you know, because I've worked with investors for, you know, 20 plus years, I mean, literally coached and presented education and research to thousands of investors. I know intimately many investors in terms of psychology, where they go, what they do and they don't do. And, you know, here's what I've learned. As much as you jumped off the cliff, the proverbial cliff, you went along and you dealt with it, you happened to make some money. Out of that came some huge lessons that I'm sure that you actually apply today in that learning, even this many years later. And I think there's a there's a part of it where a lot of people just sit on the sidelines and they never take that next step to creating that financial future. Mm-hmm. Now, I get it. In hindsight, you'll look at it and go, was that ever done? But ultimately, I think you have to look at what you took from it, aside from making a little bit of money. Now, when you added the component that said, oh, and then I thought I was pretty good, so I took on two. Now, the plot thickens. Now I'm saying, okay, Daryl, really? And the time, the timing now. Now we're in like 2008, right? Oh, nice. But I had learned some some valuable lessons from that. And I thought I had avoided some pitfalls. Like on that first house, when I first bought it, like it had these big, beautiful trees. And I thought, oh, I'm going to build this beautiful deck around the tree in the backyard. And this these trees are a feature. They're beautiful. And then I ended up fighting with the city. And the city made me tear down the bloody trees. And this is weird because this is in 2006, maybe, yeah, six, seven. And like right after that, all of a sudden the city, like all they cared about was trees and protecting trees. And it was all about the trees. So, but the next one, the next lot I bought had no trees on it at all. I was like, I'm avoiding trees no matter what. And so I bought a lot and then we went to the cottage, me and my wife, we had our new daughter then. So I had like left my job. We had a new baby. I had no money coming in and I do this stupid house first. And like all the money I made really went to paying back my lines of credits, my credit cards, like all the money I borrowed. I basically started at zero again with a bunch of like credit and now two houses, which I had to borrow all kinds of money for. But so I bought one house. I had a li- I had enough money to buy that house on my own or to at least tie it up. Then... I'm, I'm at the cottage and my agent calls me. He goes, you won't believe it. I got great news. Okay. He goes, three steps down the street, there's another house for sale. I think you should buy it. And I was like, yeah, but I'm, I'm not there. I can't even look at it. He goes, don't worry. It's perfect for you. And he, it's like right almost beside the other one. He's like, you'll get economies of scale. And I'm like, I'll get economies of scale. That sounds good. Okay. I'm in. Let's make an offer. And I go, I call my dad and I'm like, dad, I need to borrow 50 grand to make a deposit on this other house. Like, don't ask me any questions. I'll, 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 I'll write you a check as soon as I get back. Anyway, so I like pull my mother-in-law into this and I pull my dad into this and I borrow all kinds of crazy money to do two houses now. These are not like, uh, these are not like $500,000 houses. These are like, I thought I was going to sell them for over 2 million bucks, each one of these. Okay. The first one sold for one seven or one seven and a quarter one six fifty something like that like these are serious houses and this is back then so that now is like three and a half four four point two 
Like that's what these houses are going for now. So, but anyway, so now I've got two. I didn't even see one. I'm still at the cottage. Now I got to do this whole thing over again, but I got to find twice as much money. But the guys that bore, like I borrowed from last time, they're like, yeah, of course. Like it's going to cost you a couple points more, but yeah, no problem. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, let's go. Meanwhile, they had tied up in, in the financing, these two houses, and they wrapped my personal residence into it. Okay. Which I was like, I don't care. Like, let's just get this deal done. Let's go. I'll do whatever it takes. Cause I'm going to make a fortune. Right. Then, you know, you start hearing on the news as I'm driving to the job sites or I'm driving to the houses, like the U S economy is not doing so good and that blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, geez, I should probably get out of these things like quick. I better sell. The other side's going, no, you're going to make a fortune. Like just build those things. Go, go, go. Right. And my wife's like, maybe you should get out of these things. Like, I don't know. You have a bad feeling. And I didn't trust it. And I went ahead and I went into the worst possible market of all time. But like, I know maybe now, like years later, I may not be so stupid, but back then I'm thinking rich people have money all the time. It doesn't matter if the market goes down, they're going to be able to buy these houses from me. But the, the truth is that the people with money, they know how to get that house for way less than market value. Right. And they don't need to buy it. So I got raked over the coals on those two houses. I lost everything. I had to sell my house. We had to move out. It was like, I had to sell my cars. It was a mess, a mess. Did you, but when you look at, okay, so you, did you, at that point, did you have to declare bankruptcy or were you able to just kind of never kick the never. can down the road and all stuff? A lot of kicking the can down the road, a lot of deals, like a lot of juggling and a lot of craziness and like a lot of doing stuff that I didn't really want to do. I mean, I never wanted to be a, a gun for hire or a general contract, but like, so here I am now, 2009, I have no money. I lost my house. I've, I'm driving a minivan now. Okay. And my wife is obviously like, not so pleased. Like instead of curtains, we have like towels with naked ladies on it. Cause there are beach towels and they're dark and they cover the light, right? Like it's really bad. We're broke. And I have no, no way of making money. And so this, this realtor that I did some business with years before when I worked at the furniture store, he goes, Hey, this friend of mine at, at my son's hockey is looking for a general contractor. And I told him about you. And it's like, I told him about me. I'm not a general contractor. He's like, just go talk to them. I think you can, I think you can get the job. It's like, okay. I built three houses. Okay. And like, so I go to this meeting and it's a renovation and they want to rip the roof off, gut the whole house. And while we're ripping the roof off, they had just done two washrooms and they wanted to keep those intact. So like difficulty level 8,000 for this project. And I'm going in there and I've never even done a renovation before. And I go in there, I got my briefcase. I've got like four different contracts with different prices on it. Cause I don't know how the conversation's going to go. And I, at, by the end of the conversation, I pulled out like the cheapest management fee contract. And I said, here, like, here's my price. And they said, you're hired. And I was like, I should ask for more, but no, but really I was like, I guess I'm a general contractor now. And then it's just like the neighbor came over and he's like, I, you're doing a really good job. I like what you're doing here. Can you come take a look at this for me? And then he hired me and then, it, and then, oh, I should put up a sign. And then it, like, next thing you know, I got five jobs, these crazy renovation jobs. 
the, the family that I worked in the lumberyard for, they started giving me some work and like they started referring me. And next thing I know, it's like, I need to hire somebody. Right. And I'm still in a big hole. And I'm like, I got to do this fast. I got to do this fast. So I'm trying to grow this business as fast as I can. And there's a whole list of mistakes that I made there. Cause next thing you know, I'm a framing company. I'm a drywall company. I'm a real estate brokerage. I'm a kitchen company. Like, Thing just to like make more off of the stuff that I could get, right? Because I could sell, I could sell, I could sell, right? And I could actually deliver what I sold, which, if you ask me, like selling is nothing, but delivering what you promised, that's a whole other ballgame, right? Classic sales dilemma. Oh, you mean I have to deliver and execute on what I just sold you? That's a problem, <laughs> right? But, but a lot of people don't have to do the delivery. They do the sale and they walk away, right? So it's a different, like, and they, you know, they they might eat next week because they know they have a paycheck coming, right? So anyways, I mean, it, it got crazy and it got, I got crazy and I started thinking bigger is better, bigger is better. And like, it's like with anything, I mean, you can't build anything on a really crappy foundation, right? And so that's what we had. We had like extraordinary growth and no foundation. Right. And everybody's running ragged and we're hiring anybody that will say yes. And it looked good on the outside though. But, and, and it, listen, it made a lot of money, but I don't know, like the guys that are general contractors that do a lot of work that do this for a long time, my hats are off to them. They have a different mentality than me. I couldn't handle it. I'd have women crying on my shoulders and people fighting in front of me all the time and everybody going over budget and like, I would sit in these meetings with people and say, listen, you're going to go over budget no matter what we discuss right now, right? You're going to tell me right now that you want X and you really want Y. I promise you, you want Y. You don't even know it yet, but you want Y, right? And they're like, no, we make decisions. Like It's like you'd hear the same conversation. No, we're different. We're going to do, and of these poor people, you'd watch their lives like get ruined in front of you and like, like it's a, it's a horrible thing. And I couldn't handle it was, is the point I'm trying to make. Like it wasn't made for me. Right. Cause I was like up all night thinking about like toilets and missing parts and a, 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 a faucet over here and a leaky roof over there. And I'd get anxiety when it would rain. Like it was just not for me. So this is great. So we're going to continue the story and I want to, you know, now for the rest of the story, I want to hear the rest of the story, but I, I want to go along a little bit, you know, and, and touch base with, as you're going through this and as you reflect, you know, what is, is there a couple of lessons that stand out? So first off, you know, did you force the river in terms of you realize it wasn't for you, but you kept doing it anyways. And that took you a while to figure out. And you realized that you were chasing money as opposed to a model or uh, maybe an ideology of what you wanted to deliver in terms of value. But I don't want to put words in your mouth. Was there some lessons in hindsight that you really got that, caused you know the grief and the challenges that you faced you know where were you in that process when you think about it when you think back what'd you learn well i learned a lot i mean all i could think of was that there there's got to be easier ways to make money right there has to be an easier way to make money and this is crazy and and you know what it was good because i could i i realized that like even though I can do it, doesn't mean I should do it, right? 
if I set my mind to it, I can do anything. I've been in every business. I've tried everything. I've failed at lots of things. I've pulled the plugs on things that were successful. Like I've done all kinds of stuff, but like when you can't sleep and you, all you think about is like, how do I get out of this? Like, that's a great indicator for you to get out of it. The problem with this is that the cash flow is crazy. And when you have a good brand and you do good work, people are begging you to do the work free. And so mm. it's hard to say no to money, right? It's really hard to say no to money. And so you get kind of caught up in that. And so, yes, I definitely got stuck in that for way longer than, than like was healthy. I mean, I have days where I have lots of days where I, I'm like, you know, if I just did it like this, it would have been really good. You know, like if I just did it like me and an assistant in the car and I just took on a few jobs, like it would have been really good. But like there was something in me always, like my mom even said, like when I was little, I would tell her that I was going to like go to work in a suit and be this successful developer, right? Like I just, and I'd always play with Lego and I'd just always be building stuff and always organizing shit with people. Like I was just like this... And so what, what it turns out that I'm good at is just like putting the puzzle together, right? Just putting the puzzle together, whatever the puzzle is, but like real estate development makes me excited. I want to talk about it. I want to have a podcast. I want to talk to anybody about real estate all the time. And I don't know where that came from because I don't come from real estate. Like my parents lived in the same house the entire time that I was alive, right? Like, I don't know from real estate. Even my wife's family doesn't really, they own some real estate, but not this development stuff. I just, I worked in the lumber yard. I caught this bug. I, if I walk in New York, like I'm in heaven, I could walk for 30 days in a row without like even eating. Like I just love buildings. And so it just became like this, when I look at it in hindsight, like all the little things I did along the way made me capable of doing what I do now. And I was even talking to my son the other day. He's like, dad, I want to do what you do. And I said, cool, like go for it. But it might look like it's easy, but it took 30 years to make it look easy, right? Because now I get it, right? I had to screw up and like, I dug a bigger hole trying to dig out of the hole, right? Mm -hmm. Like I screwed up so many times that like, now I'm a friggin' genius. <laughs> Of course, yes. Right? We, it was a, yeah, sort of, I totally, totally get it. I love I the- I beat it into there's, myself. There's, a, there's some, you know, interesting stuff around Evolve this, Daryl, which is, you know, the character that gets developed and evolves in continually facing and overcoming adversities, even if they're self-imposed. And I mean, a lot of adversities in business aren't self-imposed. They're just what show up because, and you happen to be at the effect of what's going on in the world and you have to figure shit out. But in your case, and you had, although you had that as well, because everybody does, you know, a lot of the adversity that you faced was self-imposed because you took on more than you could take on. You stepped into a world that you weren't familiar with. You didn't have some of the talents that you thought you had and or needed to do what you said you were going to do. So you but came down to one thing, though. Like, it ended up coming down to one thing with all that that you're saying, because if the timing was right, none of that mattered, right? Idiots can make money in an up market, right? Anybody could buy something, do something on it and sell it for more in an up market, right? We see that everywhere, right? So, so, so 
I mean, I was no genius, that's for sure. But like these lessons from getting pummeled and keep still going. This important part of all of this, you know, when we look at the context of the podcast, you know, is that you get seemingly ordinary achieving extraordinary. You know, you probably look at it and go, well, I haven't achieved that much extraordinary, but really you have. You've done a lot of things just in getting to where you are today and having handled all that you've handled. I'm interested in knowing, though, you talked a little bit about your mom and and as a kid, what you were doing. You know, did, did you really come out of the shoot being entrepreneurial or was there, were your parents entrepreneurial in some way? Like, where did that entrepreneurial spirit come from, do you think? Or was it literally just, you have no idea, it's just how it was? I think my spirit came from, like, I wanted a lot of things growing up. And my parents were not in a position to give me everything that I wanted, right? And so what I would hear is, like, if you want it, go and get a job and go go work for it. So I did. Because that's me. Like, if you challenge me, forget about it. That's it, right? So I was like 13 and I would, I went and I got a job. I, I told them I was 16. I ended up like the assistant manager at, at the Colonel's at, at the local mall here, right? And I worked my butt off because I wanted a new monitor and a graphics card for my computer and they wouldn't get it for me. So I went and I worked for it and I was like, oh, well, this isn't so bad. And I just kept working. And then it just turned into stuff. Next thing I know, I'm at this baseball camp as a at working. And that summer, the owners decide to close it down. So my friend says, hey, we were thinking uh, a few of us that we we're going to start it up again under a different name. Like, do you want to do it? I said, sure. We can use it for our project. For We were in first year university. And I had a full-time job working at, at like some rental car place. And these guys wanted to start a baseball camp with me. So I was like, okay, sure. Why not? And we started a baseball camp. It was crazy. Like absolutely crazy. So there's just a part of you that says, you know, I want, I have that entrepreneurial spirit. There's a part of you that wants to lead the way and uh, be part of something bigger. And, you know, that's kind of, I look at entrepreneur and business owners and individuals like you or I, that I ask the question often, is it nature or is it nurture? And actually what I've discovered in, now interviewing hundreds of, you know, pretty successful individuals on the podcast and just knowing the people I know through the Real Estate Investment Network is that it's just both, you know, and it really is. Sometimes yeah, there is nature and sometimes it is nurture and uh, there is no real answer to it. But it's also interesting to, you know, have these kinds of conversations and listen to the character traits that show up in people. Like, you know, th there's a part of you that also had a commitment to at least keeping your word delivering or at least trying to deliver on what you said you were going to deliver on. So there's not a part of you that was saying, I'm going to take advantage of somebody to make money and, you know, screw it. You're actually saying to people, listen, you're not going to, you're committing to this, but it's not going to be that. And you need to know about that. Whereas many contractors would go, okay, I'll just pick up the extra money at the end of the job. Well, and uh, you've upgraded everything that you said you wouldn't upgrade. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying with that? Yeah. Part and of that's the thing is I, I, I just, I guess some people don't take that opportunity when they recognize that they're stuck in something to, to, to change it. I mean, 
I mean, if you talk to anybody that knew me intimately, they all thought I was crazy. I mean, the kind of money that I was making, I mean, imagine I had 20 something jobs. Like I had a whole, it was crazy. The amount of money that thing was spinning was insane. And I just like shut it down and walked away. I didn't try and sell it anything. I just wanted to get rid of it, like, and just move on. That's abnormal. That's abnormal. I think, I mean, a few people I'm sure do that, but like, what a hard thing to do. And like, especially right after I had just, you know, lost everything and finally kind of got life back to like seemingly normal. And it's like, Hey honey, uh, I know things are good again, but, uh, I'm not so into this. I'm going to try something new. Well, I can say that having followed you for two or three years and having had conversations with you previously, you're special, Daryl. That's why you're on the show. So So, let's let's not lose sight of that. But you know, something you, uh, I did interrupt you when you talked about, you know, you shut it all down and then that's where you ended up where you are today, doing what you're doing today. How did that kind of, what was the transition there, Daryl? So someone that I was very close to years previous had offered for, for me to come and, and work and learn from him in development. And I was like, I can't, like I have a wife and kids. I, I need money. Like I can't just come and work for free and learn something new as much as I would love to. So uh, fast forward to, to a few years later. And he said, how much money do you need every month to come and, and help me out and, and I'll teach you. And so we kind of came up with a deal where he was going to teach me and pay me what I needed to pay all my bills every month. And on the back end of that, when he decided to retire, I would keep paying him out for years and years and years so that he can retire nicely off into the sunset and everybody could be happy. And I was very happy with that. But, uh, I, I, so I, I closed my business. I went to go work with this gentleman and he taught me some stuff about development. And we did, uh, we did some deals that I worked very, 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 very hard on. And, uh, they were actually like, some record breaking deals. Like these are not your ordinary deals, believe me. And, uh, he decided that all of a sudden their contract, like wasn't something that he wanted to adhere to anymore when it was time to pay my bonus. Right. Basically it was, if you think I'm going to give you more money, then you can leave right now. And I said, okay. And I like grabbed my, my desktop and I ran out the door. I was like, I'm out of here. Fuck this. And I left and I just started my own thing and I just started doing it on my own. And I was like, Hmm, I'm kind of lonely. Like, and so I went back, I called a couple guys I knew and I got into this really great group and I started learning from these like unbelievable land development guys, uh, unbelievable condo sales team. Like I was in with some, some serious, like really experienced, knowledgeable heavyweights. And I was just like soaking it all up like a sponge. I knew it wasn't going to work out for very long because I was like way younger and nobody wanted to listen to me. And I had some great stuff going on. And so I soaked up whatever I could. And when I couldn't take it anymore and we had kind of unwound the deals we were working on and I got my money, I went out and uh, started on my own. And I ended up like with a ton of knowledge and it's hard to sit there and not make money and learn stuff and not freak out every night. Right. It's really hard, but 
I mean, that's how you really learn. Like, that's how you really learn. You just, you get close to that flame as close as you can and you do whatever you can. But it's, I've taken some stupid, stupid risks for my family. Like, they're really dumb. Like, if you look at them, they're dumb and they worked out okay. Thank God. Right. But like, what kind of stress? Like, I could have had a very nice, easy life and collected a paycheck and, you know, could I had a great, I had great jobs. Like, I worked in a great business for family. I did very well twice. I left that twice, that situation. I just needed to be able to feel free. But then, you know, like everybody else that's an entrepreneur, like you think you're the boss, huh? <laughs> right? You think you're the boss. Holy shit. I never had so many bosses in my life. I don't even have any employees <laughs> or clients or anything. And I, everybody's my boss. Yeah, there's been times in my business where I'm going, okay, who's working for who here? I think I'm just working for the team. <laughs> Nobody's working for me. That's funny. And so it's, it's true, though. So when you look at where you are today, I mean, do you think you've come to that place where, you know, there's a, a degree of, you know, satisfaction, if you will, in terms of the work that you're doing, the money you're earning, the stress levels that you can manage? And, you know, are you kind of in a place now where you see future growth? Or kind of how, what drives you? Are you still being driven to be bigger, better? We always want to make more money, but ultimately when you look at it, are you just really now balancing life stress levels uh, with, you know, with the job that you're doing in terms of satisfaction and being able to deliver? How does that look for you today? I, right now, life is extraordinarily comfortable and a lot of fun and I work from home. I have no employees. I have multiple businesses that are like international. I work all kinds of weird hours in all kinds of weird countries. And I'm really not that stressed out at all. And I love it. I, I really love it because I'm loving everything that I'm doing. Right. And they all kind of like intertwine with each other and there, I don't know. I get to be really creative. I'm really lucky. And I, if I don't feel like working, I mean, maybe I have something I need to do that day, but like I can do whatever I really want right now, which is beautiful. I mean, I, I'm not a sleeper. I've never been a sleeper. I have lots of time. I'm fortunate because you know what? There's, you can't make more time. You can only sleep less, right? So if you want to get ahead and you just don't happen to sleep, I mean, I guess you could there's things other people do, but I, I mean, but my work is like, sometimes my work is watching YouTube, right? Cause I'm like fully invested in this YouTube and I can't even uh, begin to tell you the benefits that I have reaped from this stupid show of mine. Okay. That just started out as me and a buddy talking because we were talking. Right. And we were like, we should record this. Like, this is, I don't know if this is good, but it maybe it will be good. Let's just, and then we did one. And then we were like, let's just do this every Sunday forever and see what happens. No matter what, we have to do it on Sunday. Like we have to put something out on Sunday. And we have like for three years, right? Yeah. For some, what looks like, like wasting time, if you give it enough time, it was well worth it. Well worth it. Like if I told you that just, I mean, through social media, I mean, I met you, right? I've met guys like Daniel Foch. I've met, I just had a lo lovely lunch meeting with guys I met on Twitter. They're pre-construction and, the, uh, and like a real estate brokerage. 
I, I, the planner I'm using on my current project I met on Twitter, the, the equity I just raised or, 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 or uh, signed an MOU on for the project I'm working on came from a contact through Twitter. That's a lot of money, man. A lot of money. And not yeah. because I like put this intention out to make money and go on YouTube. It was just like, let's do this thing and see what happens. So like, I get to be excited every day because I, I feel like I'm always doing something else. So I love the real estate, but like, I've got all these other things. Like I got all kinds of crazy stuff going on. All exciting stuff. Let me ask you this around real estate. So, and then I want to go back to your YouTube with TJ. I got a couple of comments around it, but when you look at real estate, you know, the, I hear the statement all the time from investors. I love real estate. I go, okay, hold on just a minute. There's nothing to love about real estate in that context. Tell me what you love about real estate. And when you mm -hmm. start to really think about it, I love the deal. I love the sale. I love the transition from an old, ugly property to a new one. You know, that's it's when you get into the kind of part of what you love about real estate, it's rarely the asset. It's about all the things that are wrapped around and gaining or growing or selling or pitching the deal or negotiating the deal. So when you say, I love real estate, is, is it all of that? Is it none of that? What is it for you? I don't want to put, you know, I don't want to say this is what it is, but what is it for you? So, I mean, they, they, I love to hunt. So, so the cold calling and the like, what, what, so, so, so like I'll come up with a target. I'll make a map of the whole area and I'll find my targets and I'll figure out what I can do on them. I'll make my valuations and then I'll, I'll go and I'll call the people and I'll hound the people and I'll like, it's just this negotiation, this chase. I love it. And I love just because I'm not there trying to screw them. I know what it's worth to me. So when I figure out what it's worth to them, if those things are in line, like, let's help each other. Let's do this. I can give you what you want. What you want is outrageous, but what, how the way I see it is outrageous, right? But that's the truth. The secret is not like you have to be special. You have to figure out a way to pay these people some stupid amount of money for their house. That's the truth because... How do you get six people to sell when none of them or one of them only wanted to sell, right? There's only one way, pay them a lot, pay them enough until they all say yes, right? Mm -hmm. Now, along the way, other things get really important, right? So it's not obviously just pay them a lot, but that's a gigantic part of it. If you can't figure out how to pay them more than it's worth, I mean, I don't think anybody's stealing stuff anymore. Maybe in... Saskatchewan. I have no idea, but in Toronto, like you're not stealing the deal from somebody because every developer's looking at everything all the time. Like it's one of the craziest real estate markets in the world, right? There's, this is fierce. This is even people from New York think development in Toronto is crazy, right? But it's like, it's the hunt. And then after the hunt, it's like keeping it together because it's like, you have it all together. And then all kinds of things come up that screw up this one or this somebody dies god forbid but that happens and like this person changed their mind or now you need more time and everybody wants to give you time except for one person they're like fed up with the whole thing now you don't know what's gonna happen so it's it's like it's like constantly being a goalie and figuring out like how am i gonna do this <laughs> right like but it, yeah. it's constant and, and then it's going don't be a leaf goalie. Don't, don't be a leaf goalie. that's don't all i got anything leaves ugh anyways <laughs> 
I can't even watch them anywhere. Uh, and, so and then it's like the creativity. Party. No, but I like I like picturing the building that I'm gonna put there or somebody's gonna put there. Like I like this whole thing. Because when I see the pro, like I can go there and see the building. Like I just, I love it. And it lets me you be like a kid and have an imagination and like make something in here and then try and produce it out there. Right. There's not too many other things I think you can do like that. It, it, like, and then, and then add on to it that like you can make a lot of friggin' money. Like, <laughs> we can't forget the money. But, 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 but I mean, money. You can also lose a lot of friggin' money. We see Here's that. the quote. My, my uncle used to use the phrase, buddy, I don't need the work. I need the money. That was always his phrase. <laughs> I don't need the work. I need the money. So, okay. you know, it's interesting, that creativity part of it, because, you know, I'm not saying that you do, but many like yourself take your creativity for granted as if everybody's got that kind of creativity. And I can tell you, is that my creativity is very limited to some specific things. I don't have that big grand vision creativity that would be in building design, for example. You know, so it's interesting what goes on in our minds and what you have. A, I would call it a gift. And you've obviously got some kind of a gift because you earned the track record and, and have the success that you've had because of what you do. So I just find that when you think about what you love about real estate, you know, we're starting to hear in that language what it is you love about real estate and that is you know getting the hunt doing the negotiation but the creativity that comes with it is that's really what it's about for you and and perhaps that would live outside of real estate although you're very comfortable and familiar with real estate and buildings and all the kind of architecture that comes with it i'm sure so i find that kind of interest i'm not kind of i find it very interesting when i talk to somebody like you and see that vision it's uh, it's very good so i want to talk about your youtube okay TK, how did you guys meet? Because I've watched your show. I enjoy your show. You guys are hilarious. But I think what I like about the show is that in it, you know, you guys are riffing off stuff. You're talking about your week and what went on. And you're kind of talking about real issues. So I find it often quite interesting, the insights that you get, because you're bumping up against all the same stuff that people are bumping up against. They're paying attention, whether they're the investors or just home buyers that want to get into real estate or figure real estate out when I mean, you guys are actually having real tough time conversations, you know, TK sharing as a realtor, what he's, you know, seeing in the market. So it's just really good value in that, you know, and with some entertainment value, I thought, I think it's pretty good. So I just wanted to shout out anybody who's listening. You gotta, you gotta tune into that show. It's fun. We, uh, we, we made a point to want to add some kind of entertainment to a real estate show, which I don't know why we would do that, but I think like, we're not trying to sell anything. Well, we weren't at least at the beginning. Um, but like the idea is not to sell anything. What are you selling? Advertising? Well, I mean, we, we, we dabbled in some advertising for a little bit, uh, which, you know, but we did, we did dabble in, in, in some advertising with some partners and, and that worked out okay. But, uh, the, originally the intent was not to do that, but we, you know, we ended up with a, 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 an arrangement that was too hard to pass up and we tried it. And what we learned a lot, because if people only knew the power of just doing something for an hour, once a week for a few years and what you can do with it, I saw, it's funny. I saw on Twitter yesterday, maybe today, the day before 
Somebody posted a picture of an arena, hockey arena, full of fans. And they said, this is 20,000 people. So imagine if you had 20,000 followers somewhere. And like, if you can't, you know, make two sales a year out of this, right? And it's like a whole arena of people, you know, you're doing something wrong. And so what I've seen, and, and I study YouTube, like I really do, like I want to get better and I want to figure out, you know, how to do it better and how to get more views like everybody else. And I mean, you have to, you have to study, you have to figure it out. You got to learn this thing. But when you do, and when you do it right, like the amounts of money that some people are making and the connections that you can make through this, like whatever you decide your intent is for this kind of a thing, whoever you are, whether you like just even a, a mother sitting at home, I'm telling you, there's an audience for everybody out there, right? So if you just do it consistently and you try and do it a little better every week, you know, or every time you put something out there and you try new stuff, eventually you'll find the thousands of people that for whatever reason, like, you know, vibe with you and follow you. And then if you wanted to like sell them something, mm. but, but this is the thing, like, this is nothing new, right? This is, we've, we've been buying stuff that's been in movies and TV ads and like newspapers forever. This is just the new way of doing it. And so what I realized is like, holy cow, like it's just all a big marketing scheme and it just is. <laughs> so why not? No, but why not? Like, why not? Like, we're just, we're not trying to sell anything. Like we're just having our conversation every week. So why not put a logo up and like throw a commercial in and I mean, some people Agreed. struggle with that, but why the hell not? Like, this is such a great distribution channel for anything that you want to distribute, right? But it takes time to, like, get to a point where people think you got something cool. Like, me and TK, we did a lot of weeks where it was like, what the fuck, man? Like, we had 24 views last week. How could we only be at seven again? That was a banging episode, man. We should be at least at 12. Right. Well, yeah, well, it's interesting. We were talking, well, we were even just talking off, offline. So the Real Estate Investment Network, that that we just launched that channel. Really, I shouldn't say we just launched it. Technically, we did revive it. It was, you know, we set it up years ago, but I've never done anything with it. And then, of course, the Everyday Millionaire uh, YouTube podcast, we just literally launched. And as I was saying offline, you know, the audio. So for listeners who are on audio, you know, I have thousands of listeners that, you know, are really committed to the podcast, listen to it frequently. And I'm going, well, here, let's just test it. You know, go, go to my YouTube channel, get on YouTube. But, you know, I think that audio listeners are audio listeners and YouTube listeners are YouTube listeners. I think I've it's cracked. totally different. Like no, but you're right. I'm, but like you, I'm trying to crack the code. I, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure shit out. And I'm a little bit obsessive that way. Like when I take something on, I can pass, like, I don't do video editing and I don't do that stuff. I pass it off onto the team and they love doing it and that's great. But I'm actually leading the charge and saying, okay, how do we grow this channel? And, you know, I'm putting time and energy into it. And I love it because that for me is some creative process as well. And so I really enjoy that. And I get to hang out with guys like you and meet different people. And, and I think that's really cool. But it's, to your point, it's time spent and you've really got, you have to study it. You have to implement, try test it's a process it takes time and you want more and better results because that's how we're wired but it is this way it's true and, and what most people i don't think realize is that i'm actually the editor for all the content that we put out and i i mean we we put out a 
ton of content right now. Like I chopped that hour up a million different ways. And now I, like I have my own thing that I, that I do as well. And, and there's a lot of work, but again, I get to have that creative outlet. So for me, like, I don't care. I, all of a sudden it'll be like three in the morning and I'm editing a video and it's like, Oh crap, I got to wake up soon. What the hell am I doing? But like back when I was a kid, right. And I'd, I'd play guitar all night and I'd be like, writing these songs and playing and next thing you know it's like five in the morning like when you get to be creative it just flies by and you get to feel youthful like you work in a job that you hate and you feel like shit and old you dread your life you don't want to wake up in the morning like it's it's harder to wake up in the morning these days as i get older but i want to at least <laughs> you know like i want to get out of bed i just can't <laughs> yeah don't even get me going on older Hey, but listen, so we, I want to talk, you know, so we hang around in a lot. We, as entrepreneurs, we face a lot of different challenges and, you know, we're driving content, which is in itself a nice, fun, creative process. But when we look at what's happened over the past three years, it's easy to get in. You know, if you spend some time on YouTube, you look at what's happening in the real estate market. You know, you're talking about how many idiots there are as contractors I'm looking and how many idiots can make money. And, you know, I dumb it down to, you know, and I, I'm always a little bit careful about name calling, but, you know, when I look at our current government, I'm going, and sometimes idiots get elected and then they get reelected. And even an idiot can be the prime minister of a country. And, you know, I'm always Especially. shocked by that. And I'm seeing what's happening over the past three years and where we have come to. And I'm like shocked, dismayed, infuriated. You know, my uncle once passed on some wisdom to me and, you know, he said, the thing about life is that it's okay to be skeptical. Go ahead, be skeptical. Don't get cynical. And, you know, I've always kind of hung on to that. You know, be skeptical, don't be cynical. But I'm finding myself fighting the urge to be cynical as I watch the housing crisis, quote unquote, the Bank of Canada doing what the Bank of Canada is doing, the taxes that we're paying on you know, and the fight we have for inflation is kind of got nothing like it. We, we forget the taxflation that is, we, it, that isn't woven into that number, although it's a huge number. And so let's talk a little bit about how you see it. I know you got some really strong opinions about it. And, you know, because I've listened to you, I, I align with uh, pretty much all the opinions I've heard that you express kind of when you reflect on where we see ourselves three plus years later coming out of the lockdowns. What's your thoughts? What's your kind of overview of what you're seeing happening and maybe even how you see the future? So I am not able to not be cynical. So I'm definitely cynical. I'm definitely skeptical about everything. I'm definitely open-minded about everything. Like I do want to even when it hurts, I do want to hear the opposite opinion and I want to be able to at least consider it. I have been known to change my mind quite often, but this is not the country I grew up in. Like this is not the Canada that I grew up on that I played road hockey in the streets on and felt safe and felt like, you know, it was a beautiful world. Like this is a different planet. Right. And so you know, when we were younger and people would say, you know, who the hell wants to bring a kid into this world? And we did it anyways. Like, 
look at look at what's going on. I mean, something major has got to change, right? Because this is no way to live. And it's weird because, you know, the world's going this way. And I don't know anybody who's on board with the plan, right? I don't know anybody that wants to be at war all the time and wants to feel broke and wants to borrow money, you know, and wants to work a thousand hours a week or work at an Amazon warehouse because they pay 22 bucks an hour, you know, like, I, I don't know anybody that's on board with this plan. And I, I talked to a lot of people and they all have like really great ideas. So like, what's three years look like from now? Likely the same, right? You know, maybe it feels a little, I, I don't know. Like I keep hoping for some kind of revolution, right? But I mean, I'm not doing it, mm. right? I'm comfortable. I'm not doing it. That's the truth. You're not doing it. TK is not doing it, right? I don't know anybody doing anything about it either. And herein lies the problem. So, I mean, we can talk about it. We can come up with solutions like everybody else. Hopefully at some point, somebody does something about it, right? Because there is a them and there is a us. And I am definitely in the us team. And I don't like it anymore. I don't like what I saw with the convoy, the trucker convoy. I don't like what I saw with this vaccination baloney, right? I don't like feeling like I can't leave my country or maybe if I leave, I can't ever come back. And I don't like feeling like an outsider in the place that I grew up in, right? I don't like this. I don't like like waiting for months for a passport and like going to the to the driver's license with my kid and like the lights are out and the place smells like urine and the, the bathrooms need renovations, you know, like. And, and I'm sitting there I'm, and I'm talking to like people, immigrants, and they're like, what the hell is this place? Like, isn't this like, isn't this supposed to be like first world country? Like, where the hell did we leave for this shit? And, and, and people are saying that. And maybe it's not like everybody, because I'm sure it's much better than where a lot of people are coming from. But this is not Canada anymore. Like, and, and it was like, I don't think I felt like this three, four years ago. Like, this is new. All of a sudden, this place changed. Like, the whole world just feels upside down now, right? And so, do you like Star Wars? Are you a Star Wars guy? I'm a, I'm not, I, yeah, I do like Star Wars. I'm not, a, you know, I, I'm not obsessed. I'm not the first in line when they have a new release. I'm the guy that goes out. I'll see it when it comes out. You know? so, 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 like, there's a lot. Like, I just keep drawing a lot of weird comparisons to Star Wars now because, like, mm. The empire that a lot of people, you know, thought were the good guys really turned out to be the bad guys. And like, we have this empire that I don't know who the hell thinks they're the good guys anymore. Like, does anybody think that the U.S. is not up to no good all over the place? Right. And so what kind of, you know, marketing on YouTube leads to realizing that like the whole thing is a sham, which leads to like, holy cow, like, okay, when tv was first invented okay like let's even go back even further i i, I don't want to get crazy here but let's go back to radio days did you ever hear in school the uh the what was it called the invasion the uh uh war of the oh, world that's what, war of the world of the world yeah you remember that and the whole world like they fell for it and everybody went crazy because it was like they trusted what was on the radio like it was supposed to yeah. be news that's what was on the radio and you trusted it for insight. And now all of a sudden there's an alien invasion and everybody's going crazy. So now you get TV and it's like, okay, like it's a naive bunch of people. You got this great thing. It's entertaining. It's beautiful. It's new. It's shiny. It's great. 
But now fast forward like 60, 70 years and you go, holy shit, like they've been really feeding people a lot of stuff for a long time. And when there's only three networks, right? But now it's like, there's a million places to hear the truth, whatever the hell the truth is nowadays, but there's a million places to go to find stuff out and at least like open up a, a, a gateway for a, maybe a different thought than what you see on certain channels, right? Or through certain channels. And then you start to see like some crazy stuff. If you do like, not even like surface level digging, like just a couple of keywords, right? And now you start to go, holy cow. Like, well, who do I believe? What do I believe? How do I figure out who and what to believe? And when I do, the fuck do I do now? So now I have like this idea. What do I do with it? Well, I think there's a, there's a fundamental that you hit on, which is, you know, what is, what would initiate change? And then ultimately that's the challenge we face, isn't it? Because, you know, what is the hill you're prepared to die on? What is it that you're prepared to do in terms of initiating change? And it's not an easy, we see the problems, we recognize a lot of the issues that we have, and there is no easy solutions to those issues, by the way. What we do know is that what has transpired over the past three years is, uh, huge amount of polarity and divisiveness and, you know, wokeness, if you will, and just a, a, a real divide in terms of views of the world. And you start to see that it's being driven by government, it's being driven by mainstream media, and it doesn't take a lot, really. I don't think that either of us are particularly smart, but we do have a view of the world that is pretty pragmatic. It's pretty practical. It's pretty common sense. And the fact that we question the motives or the initiatives of our government and or big corporation or whatever that might be, I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. I think we owe it to ourselves to actually question some of the things that are happening and some of the things that we're seeing. You know, it's often the use of words that, you know, who would have, who would have even, you know, this misinformation and disinformation you know, and all of the things that we apparently are being fed and those terms are being used by the very people that go, no, they're, they're, you know, it's misinformation. It's disinformation. The messages they're putting out there and I'm going, no, your misinformation, your disinformation. It's like, who the hell do you believe? And, you know, it, it is a real challenge. And I, you know, so I, I look at it and I, you know, so I have a, a view of the world at my view, you have your view, but Ultimately, we look at where it's at today, and I think you said something which along the lines of this is not the Canada that we grew up in. This is not actually the world that we grew up in. This is a global issue. The question I would have from you, are you looking at it and going, you know something? I got, I'm looking. I, I got to look outside. Do you think there's a, there's a greener on the other side? Uh, if it wasn't Canada, have you considered where it would be? And have you considered even getting the hell out of Canada? Many have. I'm just asking if you are. Oh, yeah. Oh, I would definitely, I would leave in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. If my kids would come with us, I would leave in a heartbeat. But my kids, you know, they got friends and they got whatever. They got to be in the room with the video games all day. I don't know. They don't want to leave. So I'm stuck here right now. But I would leave Where in a heartbeat. Where would you go? I would love to go to Belize. I don't know why, but I love Belize. I went there once and I was just like, oh my God, this is where I would go. Something just felt right about that place. Look, I, my skills are transferable, right? I can do what I do wherever I go, but 
I'd like for my family to be with me. So until uh, they're older, I'm going to be stuck here unless I'm forced to leave. I, I, one of my best friends left when, when the flight mandates changed, like when you when the flight rules changed. He's like, I'm out of here. And he moved to Mexico. He's got a business here in Toronto. He went to Mexico, started buying real estate in Mexico. But he was just like, that's it. I'm done. It's it's not Canada anymore. This feels like back back home where I left already, and I don't want to live like that anymore. I'm gonna go somewhere else. And it's crazy that somebody would feel safer in Mexico than Canada, right? That's that doesn't sound intuitive, does it? But this is the thing. I've been to Mexico. I mean, I never felt unsafe for very long. I mean, you, if you go to a stupid place or you know you talk to stupid people, I mean, who that you. Look what's going on. I don't know if you follow the news in Toronto, but people are getting murdered every day here. People are getting thrown on the train tracks. It's like swarms of 13-year-old girls are killing men. Like, I don't know what's going on here anymore. This is crazy. Yeah, it is. It's, but I think, you know, you're suffering, Toronto's suffering the same challenges that many of the big cities in are right across the U.S. Vancouver's facing it as well. Uh, you know, let me look at it. And I just... I go back to leadership. At the end of the day, it's government leadership, it's bureaucracy. It is really the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing. You've seen the numbers in terms of public service workers that have been hired. And yeah. at the end of the day, we know that bureaucracy creates bureaucracy, which slows the cogs of, and the wheels down of any kind of progress. And it's the changes that they make in the social structure. So I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a capitalist, but I believe in social programs. I would like to call myself a liberal conservative in the past, but I don't even know what center is anymore. It's gone so far left out of my comfort zone that anything that isn't that far left seems way right. So I don't even know where I'm at anymore. I just know that I believe there's in, no middle, you know, yeah, I get whatever the middle might be. But the point is, is that Toronto and Vancouver have been dealing with homelessness and people living on the street for years. It has not gotten any better. It continues to get worse, and I don't care what social programs they put in place. They don't work. They will never work, and it's not because of the individuals on the street. It's they don't put a program together that makes sense, and this goes back to, you know, we joke about I will throw true under the bus any day of the week. This goes back to literally an individual who truly believes the budget will balance itself. He's a trust funder. He's probably written lots of checks, never had to balance a checkbook and or a bank account in his life. And somebody else has paid his credit cards. Like he's got no relationship to money that is in any context makes sense in business, let alone in running a country. And so these social programs can be fixed just by throwing money at it. And so we see these things unfolding in front of our eyes. And it just seems to be heightened given all of the things that have come undone. Now, we recognize the problem, to your point. We recognize the problem. What the hell can you do about it? What the hell can I do about it? Other than vent, get frustrated, throw our hands up, you know, vote. I, I mean, I know how I voted. I'm worried about, you know, what's going on, you know, in Alberta. And I don't know that Trudeau won't get back in again. You know, that is a concern. So these are real concerns I have as a citizen of Canada, as a business owner, sometimes I just shake my head and wonder what and the fuck is happening and unfolding right now. Having said all that, you know, Stephanie, my wife and I do a podcast called, you know, the everyday millionaire mindset matters. And we're addressing 
you know, the issues, the mental and emotional, trying to support people and just having a different view of the world, taking responsibility for their own emotional and mental health, how they view the world, try and, you know, I'm not saying look at the world through rose-colored glasses, but this is really the time to do the work in terms of looking after yourself mentally and emotionally or professionally. Who is your tribe? Who are you surrounding yourself with? And that's all because of what's unfolding before us. So I know it's a little bit of a, a rant, but, you know, I think, Daryl, is that it's really going to be guys like you, me, TK, any number of people that we follow and, and have gotten to know that will be the change in some way. And it may not look like, you know, us standing on a hill and saying, follow me, come this way. It may not be that way. It may just be how we show up and what we do in, uh, in our actions. You follow? Yeah, I hear you for sure. I mean, I think the problems are, are much deeper than, you know, just social programs and, oh, yeah. uh, you know, whether Trudeau is going to be in office again, like there's way bigger things and way worse things going on that need to be dealt with. But like, for some reason, I do believe that somewhere, somehow, somebody or a group of people, and that's why I was drawing that Star Wars comparison, is that there's got to be some rebels out there that are going to do something on behalf of all of us at some point, and things will change. And I don't know when this is going to be. And like, I think my job is to like, you have to be skeptical, cynical, and stay positive. Right. And you still have to, even if you're being skeptical and cynical and, and, you know, you still have to be confident if you're going to be successful, like you still have to, you can be skeptical and cynical and not be negative and not let it weigh you down. It just, it's like, it's like, uh, another eye or something like, it's just another perspective that you, you, you need to take in as, as part of the, the whole picture, I think. Well, there's a level, I agree. And in course, it's not just about social program, programs or government. I mean, that's the conversation I went into. There is a far, far bigger issue at hand and it's a lot of things that are unfolding. When we look at the global macro, you know, I'm, I'm following very closely what's happening. Ukraine, Russia, China, Taiwan, UK, Europe, sure. Germany. I mean, I follow it all quite closely and trying to uh, crack the code in what's happening economically and paying attention to what's going on in the US and the politics. I, I look at it all. And, you know, it's, it is interesting to watch how things are unfolding. You look at a direction and, you know, I, I look at it from going in all of this shit, like in all that's happening, I'm looking at it going, I still have to live my life. I still blessed in a great relationship with my wife, my, my home, my two Burmese mountain dogs, my grandkids, you know, I love my life. I absolutely love it. And I, continue to ask what's the opportunity in all of this because there will always be opportunities and I don't want to just survive I want to thrive through it all and how can I be the leader and and that's why you know Daryl something that is interesting is is that you put it out there you know you and I and many others but let's just say the individuals who are willing to go on YouTube go on an audio podcast we're putting it out there not everybody's comfortable it seems like in our world of course, that's what you do, but not everybody thinks that way. No. You know, not everybody's willing to put themselves out there. I sometimes think every time I release a podcast or any time that Stephanie and I do a mindset matters, I know that there's a bunch of people that either judge it, want to trash it, want to troll it. And, you know, so you have to have a pretty altruistic view 
of why you do it in order to put yourself in that position. All I'm saying is, is that the message that we put out there in a podcast, in a YouTube, uh, the little insights that we can provide can shift people's perspective. And that's one of the primary drivers that I do what I do is that, you know, if I can help shape the world, if I can give somebody else a different perspective and a different view of the world, that's another thing to do. So that's why I pay attention to all these things. And, you know, I look in the future, I'm very optimistic, although it's hard to be that way when you look at just what the hell's going on in the world. Yeah. And I, ha I have this board with all these sayings on it. And I really feel like that I forget the saying, but it's basically like when, when things are most chaotic or from the chaos comes the clarity. Right. So, 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 I mean, I'm pretty sure like this feeling that we have, like this feeling that's kind of looming over everybody and like, like if we were in the forties right now, like we would call it like world war, you know, like the whole world is at war. It's a mess. Everybody's divided. It's a big mess, but like from this chaos, hopefully something better comes from it. Like regardless of what it looks like. Okay. Like this is not the model, whatever it is, right. Whether it's the U S model, the UK model, the British model, like whatever model we're following now, it's fucking broken on every level. There's no more duct tape that can hold this thing together and it will explode. It will explode. And I don't know what that's going to feel like, but from this explosion, hopefully like we get a better system, not like a worse, crazy one. Like people are predicting, like maybe, maybe we end up. Okay. Listen, I, everybody's afraid of these digital currencies. Okay. You want to be afraid of a digital currency? Hello. Like what isn't tracked here right now? If you got something to hide, then fine. Be afraid. If you're doing, I don't want to pay taxes either, but you know what? Eventually they get you. Don't get me going on CBDC. I'm not afraid of CBDC, by the way. I've studied a lot, but where CBDC leads to is not about whether I get hammered more taxes or I can't transact under the table because that I don't do that anyways. It's not a concern for me. If, you know, I might give my grandson 10 bucks, you know, I'm sure he'll be taxed on it in the future because I'll right. have to do a CBDC. It isn't about that. It is actually about the level of control that the government has over you when it comes to everything from uh, where you spend carbon credits, how, in fact, what you're going to eat or not eat, social credits, that's all there. So if you've, if you've spent any time, this is already in place in China and millions of people. Now, what's interesting about China is that culture. So literally, if you jaywalk in China, in some cities in China right now, you literally get a ticket. You then get yeah. shamed on the big screen. They then take the cash from your account that pays that ticket. Now, for jaywalking? Jaywalking. Wow. Not going to jaywalk again, though. That's for goddamn sure. <laughs> so you get shamed on the big screen. And I'm not oh joking. This is for real. So we have spent time in China because I did some, my wife and I did a lot of business stuff and I did a lot of business there. Here's the thing. Friends coming from, I don't remember what freaking city she's coming from. I can't even remember. Stephanie and I were in, I think, Hangzhou or Beijing. It doesn't matter. Colleen's there. She works for Cirque du Soleil. They're doing a show. She says, why don't I jump on the train and come visit you guys? She's a Canadian that was working in there. And I, I would go, that'd be awesome. And so it's a three-hour train ride, bullet train, that fast unit that they got. Three hours. So it's not easy, right? 
So she goes and she goes to buy a first class ticket, a business class ticket. You know, they're not ultra expensive when you're doing anyways, doesn't matter. She goes and it won't let her buy a freaking ticket. She's going, God damn it. So anyway, she gets on and she has to, you know, get in the cattle car to travel to see us. She's telling us about this and she's going, it's just, I'm pissed off. I've never had that happen before. And being on the cattle car for three hours in China is no fun. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, long story short, she goes to buy the ticket back. She can't do it. She sees a guy on this, the whatever uh, ticket guy, you know, somebody who works for the train, calls him over, kind of gets a translator. He basically says, no, no, you can't buy a ticket. And it was because she had had an incident at the bank and they dinged her social credit store score. Huh. And that, that prevented her, CBDC, that prevented her from buying that ticket. So we look at CBDC. It's not about hiding money, tax. It's about control. Control. So when we know the initiative around things like carbon credits, by the way, it is true story. You bought too much meat. You need, you know, you're cut off or you're going to pay three X to buy the carbon credits. And if you've noticed on any plane tickets that you bought, what are they doing? They're going, oh, this is your carbon usage on this flight it's all set up for that and so it's already in place it's already proven that's where they're going that's the problem with cbdc so am i afraid of them no but i am afraid of the control so let me ask you a couple questions here because uh so i decided that i wasn't going to take the uh, medicine that they just that they thought was very necessary for everybody and uh I felt like I was already under control. Like I couldn't go to a restaurant and I, I still can't fly to the States, funny enough, which I don't even understand that. I think next month that's supposed to change, but, uh, I can like, I felt like a prisoner in my own country already. Right now, if we think back to the convoy, I bet some of those people would say that they felt that there was a level of control over their funds. And there was. There was. So I, I hear you. And I'm sure CBDCs are not meant to be a great thing for all, any of us. But uh, I think there's scarier things than that that we have oh, to no. focus on because <laughs> okay, we are so tracked and traced by everything. Like everything around us is recording something and sending <laughs> it somewhere. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a, you know, and, and so sometimes I go, you know, we as people don't like change. You know, we just, by our nature, we don't like change. You don't like change. You like to be comfortable, quote unquote. You like the comfort, right? Oh, yeah. We all do. And, you know, if you're going to make change and and I'm kind of designed for change, I, I embrace change. But when I'm looking at, at least I believe I do, I might be full of shit. But I think at the end of the day, when I'm forced to change, then I get a little bitchy. You know, when somebody's telling me what's good for me, that pisses me off. You know, right. But so when, so, okay. So if, if it was a place maybe that we grew up in or a place that we felt a connection that was worth saving or fighting for, like I would leave here in a heartbeat. Right. And if I felt like, like, listen, if I really wanted to move and I didn't feel like really safe anymore, it'd be like, kids, guess what? You're moving. I don't give a shit. Right. You're coming with me and we would move. 
because I would not under any circumstance fight for this place. I wouldn't. That's the honest to God truth. And I look at people like I know I have a lot of Israeli friends. I'm Jewish. So I, I mean, I end up meeting a lot of Israelis one way or another. And I think they're all crazy because they all fight for their country and they would all do it again. Right. And I think they're yeah. crazy that they don't just move and get their kids out of there before they get drafted into the army. But like, I guess they think it's worth fighting for. Yeah. Right. Cause I, know. I don't know. Would you, would you, would you put a, would you strap on a backpack and some boots and grab a gun and go out there? <laughs> would you jump out of a plane for this place? If I had knees that still worked, maybe. Nice. I don't no, know. How good my body work. I, right. I, under, under the current leadership, I wouldn't. Not for these. Okay, so I'm going to digress because I want to. We got to wind down, and I know you got. Sure. You've already given me lots of your time, and I appreciate it. The I do want to, you know, on this same note, when we look at what's happening in the world, we look at uh, what's happening. Let's link it back to real estate, which is both of our backyards. I'm sensing, you know, aside from supply demand, people sitting on the sidelines. Where are the listings? The listings aren't there. People aren't selling. Why aren't they selling? Nobody really knows. There's lots of speculation. You know, detached properties, detached uh, homes in Vancouver are actually on the rise. You know, $3.5 million and yeah. you're saying offers. It's crazy, you know, and Same I think here. Toronto too. So the question is this. I still sense, though, a lot of apathy in the real estate world. You know, I'm looking at it from an investor point of view. It drives me crazy because right now rental demand is off the charts. I look at being a rental housing provider. And if you're following a system, if you're following a process, if you're buying real estate, not speculating, if you're investing, not speculating in real estate, there's huge opportunities. And But I'm seeing apathy of just people sitting on the sidelines, which really doesn't support the need for rental supply. So that's my little bit of a rant. I wanted to hear it from you being kind of boots on the ground, just your perspective from the, the, the world that you play around in. I mean... I don't remember the last time the fundamentals led to something fundamental as a reaction, right? Like there's just so many things in the mix. And then, you know, what, what happens if they invade Taiwan? Like who's got, like, who's got that figured out in their model? Even if you've put it in, like, what does this yeah. look like now? Right. And I mean, you got all these economists and all these people that are supposed to know what they're talking about, but like, the rules change as they make a prediction, right? Nobody, for years, I've been reading books and listening to people who are calling for this monster crash and this, this depression, but they, they never think that the, 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 the central banks will print more money again. Like, <laughs> like how, how much more can there be, right? But, but we see now with BRICS, we see now that there is an abusive point of this currency, right? There is a point where there's too much out there and nobody has faith in it anymore. And now we're witnessing that. And, and look, this is, if you, if you believe in cycles, which I didn't until I got hammered by a, a few, yeah. right? You know that it's inevitable and you just don't know when. So you're right. I mean, if you're investing with fundamentals, I mean, it is likely that you'll be fine, but I mean, it's that fear of the, but like, what if those guys are right? And I buy this thing and the fundamentals are good and there's a tenant, but like, fuck 
honestly, with the landlord tenant boards right now, like who the hell wants to be a landlord anyways? Like I just have, have the best conversation. The best I just conversation con- ever. Right? You can have all the conversation. Yeah. Everything in line, everything perfect. The money's lined up. Partners are everywhere. This thing makes money all the time. And what happens? That fucker doesn't pay. Right? <laughs> everything looks good for three months and then boom. And next thing you know, there's shit on the walls. Everything's destroyed. The roof caught on fire and they disappeared after 14 months of not getting paid. So, I mean, who? But that this game changed now. This is not like you used to have investors that obviously were not investors, right? Speculators, right? Yeah. Up market again. You don't have to be a genius to make money in an up market, right? But do you trust fundamentals still to make life like you're a seasoned veteran, right? You've seen it all. You've looked at so many deals, like so. It, I have in the back of my head always like, shit, what the hell if everything falls apart and they're finally right and this thing explodes, do I want to hold real estate or anything, right? What do you hold? What do you do in that case? And is that ever coming? And when is it coming? Like, what is a person who doesn't do this all the time and hasn't built up the shield to deal with that shit? Like, of course they're never going to do it. It's crazy, right? And, And so, yeah, you may get less crazier, seem smarter along the way, but you had to be crazy at some point to get into any of this, right? (laughs) You have to be, especially as the operator, like maybe a guy putting 50 grand into a house and sitting back and getting this, I don't know, what do you even get nowadays? 200 bucks at the end of the year for a cash flowing property? I don't get the whole thing. I don't get the whole thing anymore. And I don't, if fundamentals led to something fundamental, then what you're saying, I could, I could agree with a hundred percent, but like, if you're not a little bit afraid that something bad is going to happen soon and you don't have a contingency for that, I don't know, maybe I'm the one smoking the wrong stuff, but I think something has to get blown up and it can't be good. I love that. Okay. So we're going to save that for another conversation. I'd love to get into that with you. We're going to do this again. I got to wind down because. Wind it down. I gotta we've go. Been, we've been going hard. So yeah, great. sorry. That's good conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Having some fun. So as we wind down the show, I always kind of do a little bit of rapid fire stuff just to have some fun. Some rapid fire that's generally not so rapid fire, but we're going to have the conversation anyways. You ready? I'm ready. What's this okay. on? Well, let's just play the game. Let's go. Okay. Apple or Android? Android. No kidding. That's good. That's pretty rare. Used like, to be Apple. Yeah. Yeah. Are you uh, Samsung? Are you Google? What kind of phone? Samsung. What? Hey, listen, if you're open-minded and you're willing to change your mind and something better comes along, you recognize it. Okay. Apple sucks. There you know, that's, that is, that's awesome. Favorite quote. You have one, an inspirational quote that you really dig? Oh, I have so many. Um, Impossible is just a word that cowards use to describe, God, I forget what it was. Impossible. Anyways, something about impossible. Okay. And it, it's not, it's not real. Impossible is just a mindset too. Right. I forget mm-hmm. the actual quote, but impossible is a challenge is basically what it comes down to. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, if you're going to be an entrepreneur and you're going to like believe in possible, like in the last too long. I've often, you know, I've, I've said to many, you know, 
that have been on the journey of what's impossible and all the rest of it. You know, if you were your 20 year old self and you look ahead now where you are 20 years later or 30 years later, uh, and you said at 20, this is where you'd be. This is how much money you'd be making. This is where you'd be living. This is what your life would be. You would go, that would be fucking amazing. I'll never get there. And here you are today. And sometimes we lose sight of the fact that, you know, we are living whatever our vision was, whatever our dream was. And along the way, there was a lot of impossibilities that uh, became possible and uh, kept us moving forward. And I think you've got a great story around all of that. So, so there, what I got to say about that. Do you have a, do you have a favorite book, a, a most impactful book or a book that you like to share, recommend? Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I think changed my life. I read that thing in like a few hours. I couldn't put it down. I, read, I think I stayed up. I just read it all night and it just changed my outlook on just really how to look at a house or at an asset. Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is probably one of the most recommended books. Uh, was one of my game changers for me personally. And the other book that I uh, don't talk about a lot, but is very, very, just came up with a, another guy I was talking to, which is the E-Myth. And the E-Myth Revisited, huge. E-Myth Revisited and E-Myth by Michael Gruber are, they're iconic. There is probably as biblical in their nature as Rich Dad Poor Dad. So they're just not as talked about. I read uh, before my introduction to Robert Kiyosaki actually uh, was, I'll tell you a tiny quick little story. We were on our way to San Francisco for that event and I went to the airport and I needed a book and I looked on the shelf and it said, uh, how to quit your day job. And it was a Robert Kiyosaki book. And I read that thing on the plane and in San Francisco, I was like, that's it. We're done. It's over. It was a very inspiring book. It is. And I mean, Robert at, what is he now? 75-ish, 74-ish anyways. You know, he's he looks younger little, than uh, me. What's that? He looks younger than me then. Oh, yeah, he's, surgery. he's lost some weight. He's in good shape. Um, you know, he's very vocal. Uh, he's yeah. got some really great insights. I love Robert's stuff. But he's one of those guys that like, I mean, fuck, for 25 years, he's been calling for this thing to crumble and social, right? And all this stuff. And I mean, he's like all of them. Uh, the, the, list, the, the list is endless. I mean, they didn't count on trillions of dollars being pumped into the system as the, as, as the answer, right? Yep. Everybody thought they were out of tricks and they have lots of tricks up their sleeve called, oh, we'll just push the button and print some more. Yeah, why not? See what happens. <laughs> I always, I, but I think the question that was once asked is, why do we even pay taxes if they could just print money the way they do? Why do we bother? All they have to do is, you know, push send, you know? Or, or, or at the very least, like, why do we send all this money in foreign aid like that? That's the craziest thing. Anyways, I really have to go. It was quite enjoyable. My wife is uh, waiting patiently at the door. Okay, well, one more question, and while your wife waits patiently at the door. Yeah. What are you grateful for? What am I grateful for? I'm grateful for my wife because she has put up with some shit, man. Like, you have, you have no idea. And there may be no end in sight. I mean, look at the floor shenanigans. Okay, so you'll thank me for that softball I just pitched you. Thank so you. I caught it, though. I caught it. I could have come you up did. with lots of stuff. Very, very grateful these days. I, my friend, am grateful for having had you join me on the show today. Like you, I am very grateful for my amazing wife. Thanks again for joining me on the show, and uh, we'll circle back and uh, we'll chat again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Thank you for listening. 
If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.